At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! It's the call-up, and we have another team on this wonderful President's Day on a Monday. I didn't know it was President's Day, Jack, but it is, and we celebrate that holiday, and that means no work for most people. So I hope people are enjoying listening to this on their way to not work. But, Jack, we're talking Boston Red Sox today. We're talking Boston Red Sox the day after we saw the head coach of the Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines throw a punch uh, at the end of a game. Did you see that? Yeah, so I actually just saw that in the chat. I have not yeah. watched it yet. Like fully swung? Uh, no, it was more like a um, like he landed a flat hand on Ugh. an assistant's head. Um, but Jawan Howard, yeah, he threw a punch. I think you can call that throwing a punch. So Jawan oh. Howard, I mean, you know, you, you might be listening to this right now and then get a notification that he is either suspended for the rest of the season or fired. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, uh, oh, you know, like – It'll be like a one game suspension or he'll get suspended a couple of games. If it was a player that did it, it would be like a couple game suspension. This is the head coach. Like this is an NBA veteran. (laughs) This is an NBA vet. This is the guy that you brought in to literally be the poster man, not the poster boy, the poster man of your basketball program. And the one that boosters are paying millions and millions of dollars. Like there's a big buyout here. Um, and if you can fire with cause for throwing a punch at somebody else um, as the poster man of your or of your program, uh, you're you're kind of screwed. I would say that Juwan Howard's getting fired. I just watched it. I just watched it. It was like a weird open handed punch thing. Yeah, um, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's not like Michigan's lighting the world on fire either uh, on the basketball side. So it's funny because my initial thought was when I saw a coach, I was like, baseball coach, baseball coach out there swinging in a brawl. Now we're talking basketball. But the wild thing is it's been a really fun first weekend of college baseball as well. Uh, yeah, I've been having a great time. Um, I, I think we look across the entire country right now. There's so much talent, dude. I just watched LSU put up. 12 runs um, in that lineup is just insane. Dylan Cruz could be the one, one pick in 20, 2023, almost a 2013. Holy crap. 2023. You have Jacob Berry who could be a top, you know, top five pick in this draft. They've got a ton of dudes that are athletic that can rake. That's just LSU. And they're not even the best team in the sec. You got Vanderbilt. You've got Mississippi state. You've got like so many insanely good teams. UF though. Drops the series opener as well. Our own Ethan Badowski was out there covering that, but Judd Fabian looks great. He should be a guy that'll be taken pretty early. There is so much talent in this country uh, across just 
every conference. I'm so excited for our college baseball show, which the boys of spring is, is launched up right now. And uh, you can go check that out as well on all platforms. Our guys are doing a great job on that show too. So you got everybody tuned in for Red Sox day today, going over the Red Sox top 10. And then you drop the curse word that is Judd Fabian to Red Sox fans. I mean, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, it was relevant. So uh, yeah, Judd, Judd's looking good. He's laying off. He the looks really balls. good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, maybe, Red Sox. Maybe should have signed him. Um, I honestly don't know as much of the details behind that. If it was more on the Red Sox or more on Judd, but uh, you know, that's a guy that when we look through this system, they could probably use some outfielders, um, some outfield offensive guys. Uh, I like a lot of the bats at the top, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, we also graduate Jaron Duran by our standards, uh, which is something I wanted to mention. To me, I just after you get a hundred plate appearances, I don't really, I don't really want to consider you a prospect anymore. There's usually so many other guys I want to talk about, but with Duran, he's also going on 26 years old. But at the same time, he's a late bloomer, late bloomer in college, late bloomer in the minor leagues really put it together in triple a last year was a bad stretch for him at the big league level. I still, I know both of us kind of agree here. I'm still holding out a lot of hope for him and I think he could be a good piece for them. But I think a lot of the moves that the Red Sox have made so far this off season before the lockout kind of show how there is still a little bit of uncertainty for them in terms of how much they can really rely on somebody like Duran when they're trying to win right now. Yeah, the uh, the Olympic gold medalist, right? Jaron Duran, the Olympic gold medalist in uh, yep. what Tokyo 2020, yeah, 2020 slash 2021. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I I agree with you. I'm still holding out hope on Jaron Duran. Uh, he's a really good athlete. I mean, you said he flies. I agree. Yeah. He and I think that translates defensively really well. I think he can be a well above average defender in center. Um, and we'll just see if the hit tool gets there. We'll see if he can grow and you know, actually hit 280 because he is only effective when he hits 280. If he's a 250 guy, his game is not that effective. Um, but if he can get to 275, 280, then, you know, that's a pretty solid outfielder and he could be a starter. He could be an everyday totally. big league center fielder. Absolutely. Um, and that's the, that's the challenge, right? Sorry to cut you off. It's just, that's, that's the really interesting thing is like, who does he want to be right when you're a guy like that it's really tough because it's like do you want to be bat to ball put the ball in play and use your speed or do you want to let that power eat because we saw a power surge from him in triple a this past year and i think he's caught in between a little bit like should i try and focus on making as much contact as possible or should i be trying to get this quality of contact and trying to let it eat and hit some home runs it's it's a hard balance for those guys that are stuck in between a little bit i talked about that with um Greg Jones recently, you know, shortstop prospect with the Rays, and he was in a similar conundrum. It, it's a unique spot for guys that have those multifaceted tools. Yeah, so it's almost like being in between gene sizes. Uh, that's the way I look at these guys. And, and you laugh, you spit out your Celsius for a moment. But, like, it's almost like being in between gene sizes because if you are, say, a 35 waist and you try on the 34 waist and the 36 waist, you're going to buy what's more comfortable, right? And, yep. you know, even though it it might not be the sexier option, uh, the 34 would be the sexier option. The 36 is going to be what's more comfortable. So if Duran is more comfortable being the bat to ball speed defense guy, yeah, it might not be as sexy as 30 bombs. It might not be as sexy as 25 bombs. But if he's 280 with 12 or 14 and he's swiping bags and he's playing really good defense, that's a comfortable option. And I think a lot of people are going to go for comfort because a lot of people post COVID now are wearing sweatpants every day and they might not even know their waist size. I, I don't know my waist size, man. I don't know. And 
I, to, to talk about that, I, I really think that he's going to try to find that, that middle ground there. And uh, you know, if the thing with him too, like, can he hit lefties? Uh, that's something to watch. And I think that all kind of ties in with just a little bit more contact oriented approach. There was always a question like, can he hit for power? Can he hit for power? Because they wanted to see, you know, how much he has in there. But even if he is closer to that 2019 version of himself, which was high batting average, lower OPS, closer to the high 700s, low 800s range. Like, I think that's still a really good outcome for him. So it should be interesting to see, interesting to follow next year uh, and see what kind of role he has because they did trade Hunter Renfro, but they did trade for Jackie Bradley Jr. Offensively, he could be a lot better than Bradley, uh, but he also, you know, doesn't quite have the defensive prowess, very few do, of JBJ. Uh, But when we go into now the top prospects, I mean, there are some really exciting offensive guys at the top. I mean, when I sent you what was the, the top 10, it's funny because I, I purposely put a big line under the top four and then a drop below. That line was more to, exam- to, to show you that the top four guys are actually going to be top 100 guys on our update. And, and that's something that I'll give a little spoiler to Red Sox fans. That means it's going to be Tristan Casas, Marcelo Mayer, Nick York, and Brian Bellow all in the top 100 list Uh, where we're going to talk about it here is kind of how these guys all stack up with each other um, and why we leaned Casas over Marcelo Mayer uh, and how close Nick York really is to Mayer too. I mean, that that's more of just like you might as well flip a coin uh, in terms of where they are as prospects. Mayer probably higher ceiling as a shortstop, but York could not have had much better of a season. But let's start with Casas, man, because Casas is one of my favorite prospects in baseball. And, And we put him at number one. I understand some people, you know, they, they don't like to have first base prospects that high. Um, I understand that because it's added pressure on the bat uh, to, to really translate. But Tristan Casas, to me, is one of the best all around offensive pros- prospects in the minor leagues. He has done nothing but hit at every level. He was a high school guy that was just polished beyond his years as the youngest player to ever be committed to a power five school committed to the university of Miami in eighth grade. Uh, he's always just been way advanced beyond his years. I've had a, you know, the pleasure of being able to even just see this guy go through his progressions and stuff. He is so meticulous in the cage, so meticulous with everything he does. And when he's at the plate, it's a great approach. Uh, it's power, but great bat to ball skills, just great all around feel for the strike zone and something that he does that really stands out to me, Jack, that I really like is very few guys can do this, but when you get to two strikes, he spreads it out a little bit and he doesn't even really lift his leg up. He keeps it very simple, almost like your mean Mercedes did as well, which was something I loved about him with two strikes. He spreads it out and really just throws his hands at the ball. And he hits a ton of home runs with two strikes too. Instead of going 450, they go 395 but they're home runs. And that's why he struck out less than 20% of the time, despite being younger than everybody last year. I was going to say, you've seen the two swings because it's not necessarily two swings. It's the same swing, but it's a different load. And the only difference there, um, I got the side view on the two strike approach and I got the side view uh, on, you know, account where he went yard and it was, you know, a not two strike count. Uh, and it looks the same. The weight transfer, the hips, the, the firing, it all looks the same. The only difference here is with no strikes or one strike on him, he's bringing his front foot back a little bit, and then he's firing forward again. With two strikes, it's the Shohei Otani turn the foot over, hardly move that front foot. Uh, and you're right. He gets wide. 
this guy doesn't strike out because of that. Yeah. And you mentioned he's got uber power. He might have more raw power than he for sure has more raw power than anybody in the Red Sox system. He might have the most raw power in minor league baseball. Like him and Torque are, are two of those guys. Um, and here's the thing. If you strike out less than 20% of the time across double and triple A as a 21 year old in 2021, I mean, shit, man. And, and not only 21 year old dude, like 21 year old who missed an integral season in his development, right? Like we always talk about how each player is impacted differently. 2018, that was basically a wash. He only played two games at rookie ball after he was drafted as an 18 year old with dealt with injuries that cut that season short. So 2019, he played in low way, performed really well. Uh, and then only got two games in high A and that was it. So he had only had 120 games in his career, which was as a 19 year old playing in low A and was fantastic. Then misses 2020 and makes the jump straight to double A. Uh, and not to mention, did you see some of the home runs he hit in the Olympics? There was yeah. one he launched to dead center and you were just like, oh, my goodness. And for those who might wonder, you know, why would you make that adjustment with two strikes? And if it works with two strikes and you can still hit for power, why not do that all the time? That step that you mentioned that helps him with with less than two strikes, helps him store even more energy into that back hip and have even more power. I mean, there's balls that he miss hits when he's ahead in the count that get out of there because of how much energy he stores in that backside, how much more power he has. But with two strikes, if you're wondering, why doesn't everybody do that? I've talked to a lot of hitters. They're like, it's almost impossible to do. It is so hard to change in at bat and also to just not have that same leg lift that you normally have and still be on time. This is most, a very unique thing to be able to do. And most guys turn into a slap hitter when they take all of their weight away. I mean, he still has a little bit of that weight transfer there. You see it with the hips, especially he almost loads back and fires forward just a teensy bit. But like the reality is he's 6'4", 252 with tons and tons of natural pop. So he can do that based solely on torque alone. Like oh. he can't do that. Or like, you know, everybody else in minor league baseball can't do that just by firing the hips. No. Like they have to have the back leg loaded and they have to have, you know, that weight transfer taking them to the baseball. With Casas, you're right. He can still miss hit some balls and they can get out in the corners with two strikes. But like he can be fully under the baseball. I think we'll see that at Fenway. Oh, he's going to he's going to he's going to hit zero expected batting average doubles off the green monster. Yeah. No, I mean, like he can fully miss hit baseballs, get under it. It looks like a lazy fly ball. But with how much raw power this guy has and how much he generates from his body and his swing. I mean, he's going to put balls out that look like elevator home runs that get over the monster. And and he's a guy that really takes a lot of pride in everything he does. Like I told you, like the progressions in the cage are incredible. Uh, he's a good defender at first base. Like I think people are just kind of suspect, oh, 6'4", 250. There's no way he's good at first. He's got a rocket for an arm and, and he can actually pick it over there. And he takes a lot of pride in that. And he was a guy that was really trying to make himself play at third. It's just, you can't when you're built that way. He's huge. Uh, but what's, what's amazing is there's more power in there. Like he's not even really trying to fully tap into it because I think you saw Tristan Casas that really wanted to prove that he could just hit period. Like he wanted to prove that he is an all around hitter. The more comfortable he gets, the more I think we're going to see him start launching balls, like going into that 35, 40 home run potential range. Not to mention Jack, he did go into the Arizona fall league last year as well. And all he did was just mess around and hit 372, 495, 487 in 21 games. 
the guy has a wonderful approach. He's tough to strike out. He hits lefties. He hits all types of offerings. And that's why Casas, despite being a first baseman, is our number one prospect. Uh, it's not an indictment on Marcelo Mayer. It's the fact that I am as confident in Tristan Casas as I am in almost any prospect in baseball on the offensive side of things, especially. And I've tweeted on multiple occasions. If Tristan Casas does not pan out, you can punch me in the face. Um, and there's not many other prospects I've said that about. I am very confident in Tristan Casas to that degree. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Red Sox fans, if Casas is no good, uh, you know, you know where to find me. Let me know and, and I'll give you one quick swing at it. Uh, just just yeah. please don't hit me too hard. Yeah, I kind of don't want Casas to pan out now. I just <laughs> want to see the line of people lining up to suck you, Jawan Howard style. Oh, um, Joe. Open hand, then, so it won't be as bad. Open hand, yeah, just catching, like, the side of the head. That'll be good. Um, yeah, man, I mean, like, his floor is five-hitter, which is <laughs> yeah. stupid. You know, and I've, I've, I've said this comp that I have for him so many times to wrap up on Casas. You know what my comp is for this man, right? I don't. Freddie Freeman. Ooh, I, yeah, I yeah. see so much Freddie Freeman. Freeman was a guy that just draw, drives the ball gap to gap so well throughout the early parts of his career. The bat just translated so well. And then the power, we saw him just tap into it more and more and more. And just a guy that's a pro's pro, Cassis is the same way. He's going to be a fan favorite. He's going to be a fan favorite in Boston. And not only that, I, I think he's the guy that can be manning first base for them moving forward. I think he's so much better than Bobby Dalbeck. It's crazy. Uh, you you can have Bobby Dalbeck get those ABs against the soft throwing lefties, but Casas just gives you so much more. And I'm expecting to see him up there next year. And I'm very excited uh, to see what we're going to get from Casas. But I think there's so much, so many similarities there between Freeman and Casas. Uh, and I'm very, very pumped to see this guy next year. Take a look. That's a guy that could easily win rookie of the year in the AL if he gets enough cracks uh, in terms of ABs. Next yeah. guy is way further off but as somebody that should climb through the minors pretty quickly and a guy that we were kind of expecting to be the number one overall pick in the draft. Love Henry Davis. No problem with him going number one. But Marcelo Mayer ends up falling to the Sox. And I know Sox fans were thrilled about that. Mayer is a guy that, look, we didn't see too much of him uh, in the professional range because obviously he was just drafted as a high school guy. Uh, but I mean, everybody oohs and ahs about the swing. Everything that we've seen, man, it is such a smooth, quick bat. Uh, he, he seems like the kind of dude that is just way more polished than the average high school hitter, which is why we saw him, you know, go so early. Maybe not as athletically gifted as a Jordan Lawler, but still a good athlete with good power and a great feel to hit. M Marcelo Mayer just seems like one of those guys that just doesn't really have a hole in his game and is just really, really good across the board. And if he has something kind of tick up in terms of physicality or, you know, just a little bit more added strength, you could see one of the best prospects in baseball blossoming here. Yeah. And it, it feels like his neurons just fire at a different speed than a lot of guys. It feels like the game is slower for him than it, than it is for a lot of other people. And I say that, you know, knowing that we saw him at the high school level. Yes. And then we only saw him for 26 games at the complex. But when he was at the complex, he was walking 14% of the time. And he also put three balls out in 26 games. Yeah. Like he's got patience. And a lot of times when the blue chipper, when the top 10 pick, you know, rumored one, one gets to the complex, they say, I want to have a dick on the table moment. <laughs> like I want to put my dick on the table and say, I'm the $7 million man. 
Um, and a lot of them are really nice guys, but you know, they do want to prove it. They want to prove that they are worth the money. And it looks like Mayer just came in and said, I don't need to prove anything. I'm no. just going to play a really sound game of yeah. baseball. And he's really good. It's funny because I, I was thinking about that too. I'm watching these ABs and I'm like, dude, if I if I was the big money guy, I'm getting to the complex league. I'm trying to hit nukes, pull side. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and and that, and we'll get to Blaze Jordan later too. That's a guy that I, I came in thinking he was going to be that dude too. I'll tell you, man, I was impressed with how, actually how much more polished Blaze Jordan was because I, I'll admit I was a skeptic out of the gate. I'm like, oh, a big hype guy because he was hitting home runs when he was 14. Mayer's a guy that's that's been really hyped up for a while for good reason. But I'm watching these ABs at the complex. And this is a guy that's just taking what's pitched to him. Like he, he's getting a 2-1 fastball in the outer half. And he's like, yeah, I'm not hitting this out, but I know it's coming. I see it well. And I'm going to just drive a single over the shortstop's head the other way. Like he has such a smooth, easy swing. I don't know how much power is in there yet. I'm not going to pretend like I know, but I see a really quick bat. I see a guy with great control of his body and I see a guy with plenty of room to add physically. And when you add those things together, there could be plenty of power, 25 home runs or more in the tank there. But what's most impressive to me is like you said, he takes what's pitched to him. He has really sound control. Like I, I have confidence in that guy being able to hit the ball wherever it's pitched. And that's something that you don't see that often from a 19 year old. Like if I'm a pitcher and I'm looking at mayor, I don't really know how I'm beating him. Like I don't really elevated fastball is my best bet. And that's what I'm looking at to do with almost every young left-handed hitter that has a little bit of that natural loft. Like that's what I'm going to try and do, but he has such quick hands. He has such good control of his barrel. He's going to make a quick climb. I think relative to a lot of other high schoolers we see. Yeah. And call me out if this doesn't make any sense, but I, I'm not saying that, you know, getting to the complex and and trying to hit the pull side homer or, you know, being a little bit more swing happy than Marcelo Mayer is immature. I'm just saying like Mayer is a mature approach. He's already a mature hitter at 18. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes with the territory too, right? Like I think everybody would have been okay if Blaze Jordan went to the complex and tried to go yard every time. Cause that's totally. kind of his profile. But, you know, I think it's more of just a testament to the fact that he went there with a plan and, and you could see the plan and, and he was working on things in the box and he was getting himself ready, it seemed like, for next season. Like, let me let me see what this whole professional thing is like. Let me feel it out. And I think he was looking at it like an audition of let me expedite this thing next year. Maybe I can earn myself an aggressive assignment um, next year. And I think he's going to get there's a good chance he could either have a very brief stint in low A or I could even see them saying, Hey, straight to high A with this guy, because he is so polished, but it really depends on you know how the Red Sox want to play this thing. Uh, they're maybe not as aggressive with their prospects as some other teams, but I think mayor could accommodate a move to high A uh, better than most high school guys. We would see. I just don't know if there's necessarily a need for it. And there's, you could probably just stick him in low A for the first half of the season. Well, the beauty is, um, and make sure to listen to the Just Baseball show uh, after you get done listening to the call up here, because today, us two talked about 40-man protection and all that. And the, the overall quality of minor league baseball kind of drops down by like 10 guys um, based on who's protected on 40-man rosters. So maybe Marcelo Mayer looks like the guy that is a shoe-in to you know step in and, and mash for a month in low A, and then you move him to high A. Well, with two guys out in AAA, that means that, or with 10 guys out in AAA, that means that 
you know, the 10 guys in double A that are the 10 best are going to move up to triple A and then the high A goes to double A. So Marcelo Mayer may get the nod to go right to high A. And you got to look at that situationally and say, hey, maybe it's because, you know, all these big boys are locked out. Yeah. Well, and which is interesting, too, because I would like sign some random um, indie ball guy before I let it impact like my, my my development track of my youngster. You know, yeah, if so I really like, felt if I really felt like it, but if they're teetering on it, like they think he's able to do it, then, yeah, they might just be like, screw it. Let's throw him up in high. A." Yeah. Listen, if I'm if I'm an organization, and I'm looking to fill out like eight spots on my triple A roster. I'm going to get like Matt Kemp and Sean Rodriguez. Like I'm just going to go slap those guys on my roster. Screw it. Screw it. Uh, but I'm really excited to see this kid. Part of the reason why I'm a little bit disappointed with the delay in spring training, I would love to see him. You know, sometimes we see the young guys get thrown into some some MLB situations um, in, in the spring training realm where they'll get a few ABs here and there. And it's always fun to kind of see that test. Uh, but Mayer's a guy, look, we're going to get a lot of a lot of chances to see him this year. Very excited to do that. I'm very eager to see the glove. That's one side that, you know, you just we haven't seen enough of yet, but seems like he's going to be more than fine out there. He's an above average runner, uh, slightly at least. And uh, balance across the board, really, really high end hit tool for a guy his age and a guy to keep monitoring moving forward. Uh, somebody that we did see a lot of, Jack, and this is probably one of my favorite. It's funny, the, the Red Sox have two of my favorite offensive prospects in the minor leagues just because of how much confidence I have in their ability to translate at the highest level. Nick York. Nick York is a stud. And I, I wrote something about four or five months back uh, during Nick York's big season last year. And I said, Nick York is proving the Boston Red Sox right. Uh, and, and that was because when the Red Sox made that pick, myself included, I was like, what is this? Right. Late first round, a guy that didn't even have a picture. When, when they put him up on the draft thing and, you know, when he was selected, he, I think he was like a locked character. And you also had, you could tell guys that were like the pundits were basically saying, well, yeah, not much on York. He had a third, third round projection and uh, we're not sure here. The reason why he was not really perceived as a first rounder was he was dealing with shoulder issues. Uh, he was limited to second base, had had to undergo a shoulder procedure, I believe, in his junior season. Uh, so there were some questions there. And you have a, a second baseman out of high school in a northeast area. Sometimes those guys don't, you know, end up just not getting as much prospect type. Red Sox saw something they really liked. And man, were they right about this kid? It's a simple swing. It's power that almost defies his frame. He's six foot 200, but naturally just runs into baseballs and what a year that Nick York had. I mean, high contact, high quality of contact and just a great ability to control his ABs and not to mention Jack, he's still 19 years old. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to like I'm trying to comp a swing when I watch it. And I just can't really comp a swing because it's more compact than Albies, but like he's got like the hit and power combo that Albies has. Um, but he could hit for a higher average and maybe with a little bit less power. Like there are so many things that I see in Nick York and you're right. It's just so freaking quiet. Like it's such a good swing. I see a little bit of um, like a condensed Evan Longoria, like that kind of swing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just smooth through the zone. Um, but I decided to like comp what he could be if everything goes right. And What's it's Petey. It's Dustin Pedroia. Like, yeah, no, it's literally it. <laughs> the way this guy just rakes. I yep. mean, he he can step in and be a rookie of the year MVP perennial all-star just because of how good he is at hitting baseballs. That's that's what's been so incredible to see, man. I mean, and then for people who might be like, whoa, that's high praise. 
Well, listen to the numbers between yeah. low A and high A last year. <laughs> this guy hit 325, 412, 516 as a teenager between low A and high A, 12% walk rate, 15% K rate, a 149 WRC plus. This guy controls his ABs. He doesn't expand the zone that much. And if you leave something middle in, he's going to crush it. And what, what's most amazing to me, you mentioned the compact swing. I'm watching ABs, man, where like he, not only is he spoiling this difficult pitch after difficult pitch, you can see the pitcher getting frustrated. You, you pitched in high school, Jack. Was there anything more frustrating than executing a good two-strike pitch and that hitter just somehow spoils it? Uh, yeah, throwing a, a fastball that's supposed to be six inches off the plate in the other batter's box and then leaving it dead red and getting shelled because I did that very often. Yeah, yeah. That okay, was well, frustrating. That, that, yes. I, I, yes, I, I understand, yes. <laughs> understand. I understand that wasn't that great of a high school pitcher, Aram. Um, but yeah, no, it was... Uh, I mean, that's one of those things, right? Like you execute on 02 on one, two, you say, okay, I'm going to back to our breaking ball to this kid. And he waits and waits and waits and waits and waits and then slaps it the other way. Like that's what York can do. That's what he can do best. But if you somehow make a mistake and I know MLB pitchers don't make mistakes often, but Ryan Howard won an MVP solely hitting mistake fastballs. Yeah. Nick York, if he can hit mistake sliders, and mistake curveballs and mistake changeups as well as mistake fastballs. You know, I'm not saying this guy's going to be 35 homers. I'm not even saying he's going to be 25 homers. I think he, he could be. Th- he could be 325 with 20 bombs. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to make a living hitting it over that wall in left field. I'm looking at a lot of these swings, man. He's getting fastballs, arm side run. You know, 93, 95 mile an hour arm side running fastballs in on the hands. And his rotational power, like he is so quick and twitchy that he will get those hands through and rotate and just turn on a fastball up and in that would t- either guys would shut down or it would jam them. And he's launching it poolside for a bomb. Um, that that to me is like the unteachable type stuff. He's got the hands that work kind of like Nick Gonzalez. And that's why I love Nick Gonzalez. But the difference with York is he's 19 years old um, and, and I think has even more natural lift. But the way he's able to just naturally snap that barrel and whip it through and, and be able to just get through the zone, it, it's really impressive. And he controls his body well, like you said. Like he's also going to spoil tough pitches. He's also going to drive it the other way. That's the similarity with him and Casas. And I think you're kind of seeing what the Red Sox like in their hitters. They like guys that are polished, advanced, have that feel to hit, and have the power that can develop later or they can see it developing later. And I think that's the commonality that we see with these top three guys here that were all not mayor, but the other two were late first round picks out of high school. Even Casas was a later first round pick somehow. Yeah. You know, does it make even more sense now that the Red Sox were the one that pulled the trigger on JD Martinez? Like yes. they, they love this idea of just really good hitters. I, and and I, actually, I actually see a lot of JD in, in that swing. I, I love that you bring that up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if there's any correlation there. There could be, you know, say like a spring training site or something ahead of 2021. Um, but yeah, I, ju- I just think it's funny. The Red Sox have a bunch of really good hitters. You've got mm-hmm. Casas and, you know, Mayer and York that we're talking about right now. And then you got J.D. Martinez. Rafi Devers is a way better hitter than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Xander Bogart's one of the best hitters in baseball. Bobby Dalbeck. Uh, and then, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> But yeah, other than that guy, but Dalbeck's not a uh, Heim Bloom guy. 
Uh, but neither no. are some of the other guys we mentioned, but, but the point still stands. Like there are certain guys that they, that they target. And I think the Orioles do a good job of this on the offensive side too. Um, and for whatever reason, we still see a lot of teams really appeal to, or, or find themselves appealed to the, the big power, big swing and miss guys, but you're kind of seeing, and it's a comparison to like the pitcher side of things too, the stuff over command guys, we're seeing teams like the guardians that do a really good job of finding guys that have a feel for the strike zone, have a feel for three pitches, and then they kind of help them develop into to upticking that stuff a little bit. And I think we're seeing teams do that on the, on the offensive side too. It's just not as clear because, you know, pitching is a little bit more instant results right in front of you all the time. Yeah, no, Cal Quantrill, best example of that with the Guardians, right? Like he, yep. he had command of the zone at Stanford, uh, but the stuff wasn't wowable. Like it wasn't 1-1 overall stuff. And you know what? They turned it into a guy who, you know, could pitch his way to an all-star season. Absolutely. And well, we actually have one pitcher here for the Red Sox that has developed his stuff and developed his field of pitch pretty much simultaneously. And it's Brian Bellow. And, and I, will, I will literally say this until the day I die. Play the percentages in the international free agency. Don't give $5 million to one dude. Sign a bunch of dudes that you like. So hard to predict. Play the percentages. Brian Bellow was a $28,000 signee. $28,000 in 2017, and Bello was fantastic last year. A guy that I'm not seeing on that many top 100 lists and will for sure be on our top 100 list. And I mean, dude, Bello, fastball doesn't quite play the way people may expect it. And that's the only thing that, you know, I'm interested to follow. But it was more in the low 90s before and got pummeled. Now it's in the mid to upper nineties and gets hit decently, but it sets up the rest of his arsenal. So well, now his best pitch is his change up. You know, that's the nastiest pitch he has. And now he he's able to generate more separation from that pitch. So the arm side fading change up plays up so much more when you have to worry about an upper nineties fastball. And then the thing that stood out to me the most, and the thing that I think the grades are a little bit off from what I've seen from other, other areas and other pundits is, is the slider. I'm seeing, you know, average grades on the slider. This is an above average slider with room for plus because of how well he spins it. He has a wonderful feel for it. And that's the way he's able to circumvent sometimes an ineffective fastball because it's so flat. He'll spin that slider in any count, Jack. I'm watching this guy spin it 2-0. I'm watching him spin it to start the at-bat. I'm watching him double up on it. And the big reason why he's able to do that is he manipulates it. He can have a, a more of a gyro-ish cutter or slider, which is more so just vertical dropping and easier to throw for a strike because it's not as devastating, but it is nasty. Or he'll go big horizontal and it'll slide right off the plate. I love this guy. And I think Bello could actually be a really good middle rotation arm for them um, in the near future. Yeah, he feels like the nasty three, right? Yes, he, he exactly. Feel like, he doesn't feel like an ace. He doesn't even feel like a two he just feels like the nasty three, like the what nasty Cease was Dylan Cease was to the White Sox this year. Mm-hmm. He's not going to shoulder the load that Lance Lynn or Lucas Giolito will shoulder, but he's going to come on and be like, oh, you're dirty. Uh, Bello, good three pitch mix. Um, four, six, six ERA is a 22 year old in Portland, which is the Red Sox double A affiliate, the Sea Dogs. 15 mm-hmm. starts, four, six, six ERA, but a three twelve FIP. Yeah, he's a guy that had just brutal, brutal luck at times. And I'm always a little bit hesitant to look at that. But yeah, that's one of those discrepancies, Jack, right? Like I'm a little bit more, I lean on those numbers a little bit more. But for for you, like 
that's a that's a discrepancy where you're like, okay, this is fair. He, he probably had a little bit of bad luck. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Neanderthal. Like, I'm a total caveman. <laughs> I don't like numbers at all. You show me a computer, I'm going to smash it into a million pieces and throw a toothpick in and say, you know, give me 20 push-ups because um, that's what matters. Uh, so, yeah, I'm more of a uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a let's see him play the game guy instead of an Excel spreadsheet guy. Uh, but uh-huh. yeah, when you see, when you see a discrepancy like that, um, you know, that, that lies beyond the standard deviation. I usually expand, you know, my margin for error on that type of stuff, um, where I'm like, okay, you know what, even if it's half a run either way, like I'm not going to place much stock in that, but when it's a run and a half difference, four, six, six to three, one, two, I mean, that's, that's serious. Especially when the stuff looks the way it does, right? Like that's also a guy where you're looking at, if you're watching him, you're, you're looking at the ERA, even without the FIP, and you're like, he's better than that ERA. Like, I just watched yeah. this guy just carve guys up. And, and, and it's the hitter reactions, too, that, that really tell the story to me. That's always a big thing to watch is just watch these hitter reactions. There was a few of those sliders where you're seeing a, a left-handed hitter give you that pitching ninja sword, like just that half-ass swing where you can just tell they're like, oh, my gosh. But he would do it lefties and righties. And that's the thing that I really like about Bello is usually – you see some guys that like, oh, that slider is only going to work against right on right. Yeah. And oh, that yeah. changeup is only going to work, you know, against opposite handed hitters. That's not the case with Brian Bello. Like Brian Bello is, is comfortable mixing those offerings in against either way. Like he'll go right on right with the changeup because it's so devastating with the arm side fade. And he will throw that slider and back leg left-handed hitters too. Um, and, and to wrap up on Bello, I think what really tells the story and what makes that slider also an above average pitch. And that's why, I mean, it's 55s across the board with room for 60 on both off-speed pitches. I'd say the fastball is probably maxed out at 55, despite the VLO. Called strike percentage on the slider to just show you how confident he is in it. He got a called strike 26% of the time on that pitch. I mean, that is compared to the fastball, 14% called strike percentage. So he's getting a ton of whiffs on the slider, but he's also mixing it in for called strikes. That is something that makes a huge difference in walk rates, uh, setting yourself up for success and masking a fastball that might not quite be as good as people, you know, might think based on the VLO. He struck out 33% of batters last year, only walked 8% of them between the two levels. This is a dude. uh, And and I think he could be a guy for them in the next year. I think we could even see him by the end of next year. If he continues to show that feel for all three pitches that we saw. Yeah. And my last thought on him is mechanically he's quiet, then he's loose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that. He's, he's loose. Uh, and, you know, usually that correlates with a young guy uh, with good stuff. Usually that correlates to the ball sailing all over the place. And for him, you know, you mentioned 8% walk rate, like could improve. Yeah, but it's not 12%. It's not bad. Like it's not no. bad. So um, I, I like how quiet he is to start the delivery. You know, I, I watch him from the wind and it's everything is compact. He gets that shoulder pointed to the dish immediately. And then he lets his athleticism play. What I was going to say, I was going to say, dude, that's an athletic guy on the mound. He, yeah, it, it, but it's not herky jerky. It's, no. you know, cool, calm, collected. And then boom, I'm an athlete. And it, that makes the ball jump at you so quick as a hitter. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't like that. And somebody that I think the ball was maybe jumping at him a little bit too quick this year was Jeter Downs, man. Jeter Downs had a tough one, a very, very tough one this year, but we're still going to keep him at five because this is somebody that this was probably the biggest surprise struggle for me last year. I don't know if I can think of another prospect that really upended me 
uh, with just how surprised I was because his profile didn't seem like the kind of guy that would just fall so flat on his face. Right, Jack? I mean, this is somebody that was 2020, uh, really comfortable, always hit as a younger guy at every level. I mean, I watched him back in high school in Miami. Just he was a joke at how easy the game was for him then. Uh, and we saw that translate right away into pro baseball. But for whatever reason, I mean, we know the reasons and we'll talk about it. He really hit a wall in AAA last year. And, and the big reason was the approach just disintegrated. And as a result, 190, 272, 333 slash line in AAA did hit 14 home runs, but that's a 62 WRC plus Jack, 32% K rate, 9% walk rate. We were looking at a different hitter this year in Jeter Downs. Yeah, I mean, he jumped from like a, a 275 guy with like a 145 WRC plus when he was with the Dodgers in 2019. Um, and by the way, about a 19% K rate. Yeah, that, that's 30, the craziest part. 19% K rate to a 32% K rate. And he hit 190 down from like 275. I mean, 32% as a shortstop? Granted, 14 bombs, but like, seriously? It was just one of those things that you're like, what happened? You know, what happened? And the biggest, the biggest, I would say, red flag, which would obviously make sense. I don't think anybody would be surprised to hear this, is that he started chasing a lot more. But what's interesting is he's a guy that, you know, has always been pretty comfortable, works, works plenty of walks, uh, but for whatever reason, became really swing happy in AAA. I don't know if it was a matter of, you know, I'm right on the precipice here. I really want to you know, push my way to the big leagues. Cause I think we were all looking at Jeter downs, potentially getting a call up at some point last year, if he had performed well, uh, instead we saw a guy that was really pressing a triple a, a guy that was really trying too hard to do too much and looking to go pull side on everything. I mean, all of his home runs were almost all of his home runs were pull side. He was always trying to catch everything out front. And as a result, I mean, we saw him really, really struggle against the breaking balls, which is what's going to happen when you're trying to catch everything out front. You're trying to catch everything to your pull side, and I throw you a changeup. You're going to be on that front foot. I throw you a hammer. You're going to be on your front foot. And as a result, he slashed 168, 262, 280 against breaking balls and 114, 139, 200 against changeups, Jack. Oh, God. It, it was rough. The reason why we're not fading him into oblivion is that he is 23 years old. I think he's going on 24 now. Uh, but no, he's actually still well 23. He's still 23, 23 years old. Yeah, he's 23 and a half. He is athletic. He has easy power in terms of just the lifts, right? He's not putting up off the chart exit velos, but natural lifts, kind of the way we see with Nick York. Nick York probably even puts up better exit velos at this point. But that ability to just backspin baseballs is there. Uh, he's probably more of a second baseman, but I think could play third, could play short if he needed him to. So he has that defensive versatility. He has a track record of hitting in the past. You got to give him one more year. He did show some signs of life uh, in the Arizona Fall. He ran into some home runs, still was some swing and miss, but he did cut the chase rate down a little bit, which was good to see. I mean, this is a guy that's just going to have to lay off of the breaking balls more uh, given how ineffective he was against them. Uh, but also like, He's just got to he's just going to be able to hit it a little bit better. And that's going to come from being able to stay back and having confidence in your ability to use the whole field. Uh, Downs is too good to, to swear him off. But this was somebody that was on the top 100 list. You know, like this is this is a fall from grace. And uh, there's definitely reason to be concerned. But I would say not don't give up on him yet. Well, what's your pulse there? 
Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, happy belated half birthday to Gina Downs. <laughs> um, January 27th was his half birthday. Uh, so, you know, congrats, Gina, if you're listening to this. Um, yeah, I mean, like his OPS was down 300 points from high A and double A to triple A. And like, I understand triple A baseball. Yeah, like you face a lot of guys that have already been in the majors, but double A pitching is where a lot of the best prospects are. Mm-hmm. High A pitching is where a lot of nasty stuff is. Like there's not that big of a difference here from the high A double A, you know, season split to a full year in triple A. Thank you um, for that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because if this was a high A guy that hit a wall in double A, I'd say, yeah, it might be the level. A double A guy hitting that hard of a wall or even high A, he was okay in double A for the stint. But still, like that wall in triple A is the really concerning thing. So maybe he wasn't ready for it. Like that's the only thing I'm thinking. Like we didn't get to see enough of him in double A. I'm thinking he had had 12 games in double A with Tulsa, with the Dodgers system. And I mean, like, Played really well in the 12 games. He had an 1100 OPS in the, in those games. So like, obviously he wasn't phased by double A pitching or maybe he just saw like a bad batch of pitchers, but like an 862 OPS in high A and a 606 OPS in triple A. It's not level based, his struggles. It's within him. Yes. Uh, I'm with you. Like he is still well below the average age for a triple A guy or even a shortstop prospect. But I will say this. If he's not forcing the Red Sox hand to be the second baseman by midseason, if they make no moves, because I think we're looking at a team that needs a second baseman, right? Yeah. If he's not saying, hey, I should be your second baseman through the home stretch, I think you got to move on. Like if he is still slamming into this brick wall in Worcester and he just can't go an hour west to Boston or an hour east to Boston. I, I think you got to look for other opportunities there because Nick York is not far behind. Him. Yeah, Nick York will catch him quickly. I mean, Nick, I, I think he that's a guy that's going to make no issue uh, adjusting to double A, uh, in my opinion, and he'll catch him quick. So, yeah, I think if, if it's a bad few months for him, um, you know, I think there's still going to be a team that's going to be there and say, hey, I, I'll, I'll take a chance on him for a change of scenery. They go get a bullpen arm or something like a good bullpen arm. Like down still has yeah. prospect value, a fraction of what it was, but there's plenty of teams that would give you a good reliever for Jeter downs. And the Red Sox might say, Hey, it sucks that we have to do this, but you know, let's, let's help our big league team. And we've got a guy that's going to kind of leapfrog him anyways, very soon. Um, so, you know, I, I could definitely see that, but uh, hopefully downs performs and, either forces his hand to the big leagues or gives the Red Sox a little bit more valuable of a piece there. Uh, but, but another guy that I think, you know, he, he's gotten a bad rap because of his, his struggles and given where he was selected, but Jay groom, I thought did some good things to show signs of life as a prospect last year. Uh, he's got some ways to go in terms of his ability to prove that he can be a rotation guy. And another guy that you look at the ERA, you're like, ooh, but the FIP is a lot more of a, uh, I would say, rosy picture. And, I mean, the swing and miss stuff was there for Groom. He is a lefty that's 6'6", 262, man, like has lively stuff. And, I mean, at the very least, you got to think Groom could be a legit left-handed reliever. Uh, Like, I could see that Andrew Miller trajectory doesn't quite pan out as a starter, ends up being a really good reliever with deception, uh, a ton of 
just nasty breaking ball kind of things that he can throw at you between the slider and the curveball and a fastball that gets in on you quickly. But he's got four pitches with the fastball, slider, curveball, changeup that he's shown a good feel for. The command made some strides last year. He's dealt with some, you know, off the field uh, issues in the past. I think he kind of right, you know, got things right last year as far as as far as we were able to know. And I think it translated on the field a little bit. I, I'm seeing signs of life from a 23-year-old Jay Groom, who's still very 23. like he, he hasn't even had his half birthday yet. Yeah, so how many career innings? He was drafted in 2016. Um, so he was drafted in 2016. You've got you know part of the 2016 season, entirety of 2017. Uh, he missed 2018. He had Tommy John surgery. He was back for a little bit in 2019 uh, and then 2021. How many innings? That's five years. Do you think Jay Groom has pitched? In professional baseball. I mean, you know, I'm looking at all these stats pretty frequently, so I, I don't have the exact number. I know for sure it's less than 200. Yeah, 163. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, dude, that's nothing. It's a, yeah, season, it's, it's a season and change. It, it's absolutely nothing. Like, that might be a season for some guys. I mean, granted, you're not going to push people that hard, but, like, if you are starting every fifth day at the AAA level, like, that is a that's a season for you. Um. So Groom has like hit a bunch of, of speed bumps here. He had Tommy John in May of 2018 that, that shelved him for a while, the entirety of 18, and then the overwhelming majority of 19, and then COVID hit, and then 2021 came back. So boom. What sucks for Jay Groom is he is on the 40 man. The Red Sox needed to protect him because he has spent five years in their system. 40 man rostered players are not allowed to play minor league baseball until this bleeping lockout is over. This is one of those guys that is going to be kicking himself that he's on the 40 man. That like, that sucks. Why would you ever say, God damn it. If only I wasn't on the 40 man roster. It's so funny, man, because when I had this, this, we had this realization and we were like, Oh, let's talk about this on the just baseball show. As you know, like my, my good friend, Griffin Conine, it was a surprise when he wasn't added to the 40 man. And obviously that was like upsetting um, given that you want to be added to the 40 man. That's usually and a now good it's thing. a blessing. And I texted him because Griff was a similar situation, not in terms of like what left him off the field, but you know, he had the, the riddle in suspension for 50 games, um, which is, which is absurd. And then yeah. he had no 2020 season. So he missed, you know, a season and a half and he had some really good flashes last year. And he's like so eager to get back out there and keep building off of it. And he would have been on the shelf, you know, not being able to to try to prove that he can make his way to the big leagues if he was on the 40 man roster. There's a lot of guys like that. And I texted Griff the other day. I was like, dude, thank goodness you didn't get added to the 40 man. He's like, I know. Um, So it is tough for groom. Well, think about this. When did Griff report for the Marlins? Uh, He he already did. Yeah. A few weeks ago. He's been there. Yeah, he's he's been there for a few weeks. And he's been able to talk to the Marlins the entirety of the offseason. Yeah. Groom can't have communication with anybody. And this is a guy like not too far removed from Tommy John surgery. He can't do anything with his Red Sox, you know, training staff. He can't do anything with his Red Sox coaches. Like Groom is being screwed right now because he got added to the 40 man roster. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, which is a wild concept. Um, But, and Groom's a guy that's on the precipice, right. To wrap up on him, he needs as many reps and, and work with guys as he can, because there was a lot of positive things that we saw last year. I think the slider is way further along than the, than the curveball, And he didn't throw the slider as much as the curveball. Or, or excuse me, I have it backwards. Curveball is a lot better than the slider. Yes. Um, but the slider 
is is a pitch that he can use a little bit, but probably use it a bit too much. I'd like to see him go to the curveball even more because of how effective it was. Still trying to find whether the slider or the changeup is that third pitch for him. But the four-seamer and curveball combination, I think, is going to make him a really good lefty reliever that you can roll out there for two innings. Like, he can yeah, get righties I, out, too. Uh, I, I, I think he can be that guy. I think he can be that guy, too. And if I were him, I'd like to have the changeup um, yeah. over the slider, I think. To try to si- survive the rotation in a, in a rotation. Yeah, and he's a big, burly guy that works downhill. I think with his delivery, a changeup just plays a little bit better into his arsenal and Absolutely. into his deception than a slider does. Absolutely, and we see that with some of these lefties. And again, like I love to bring up Trevor Rogers, but when you're a tall lefty with that you know, arm slot that sometimes is hard to pick up and, and good extension, that changeup will play up. So it doesn't even have to be the best changeup in the world. It, it'll play up a little bit. I'm not giving up on Groom in the rotation, but I think he's going to be a big league piece almost no matter what. Uh, which I really like about him. So groom don't give up on this guy. And uh, I think he showed a lot of good things last year. Uh, and, and it's a big year for him though. Uh, pr- presumably at the double a level, once he is allowed to play, <laughs> once he's allowed to play fingers crossed, he's allowed fingers to crossed. play. Uh, next guy, as we continue to fly through the back end here, blaze Jordan, one of the most hyped up names and, and somebody that, you know, I'm, I'm always hearing, what about blaze Jordan? What about blaze Jordan? You know what? He's actually a good prospect, man. He actually is a good prospect. He, he got a little sniff of full season ball at the end of the year, uh, but really lit up the complex, uh, which was good to see because honestly, I thought he might even struggle there. I, this is a guy that reclassified, uh, which was a great move for him. Ends up foregoing college after the reclassification. Went third round, big overslot though. Really got closer to first round money in the 2020 draft. He's been somebody that we've been watching on YouTube with metal bats, hitting the ball 500 feet for years now. And I was honestly thinking like, oh, this is a little bit of that kind of hype. He looked great in 19 games at the complex, showed it with four home runs there, uh, but it was really the, the types of swings that we were seeing from him. And then he went to low A, man, and in nine games, he hit two homers and put up some really impressive exit velos. But what was really impressive to me was he is not that just all or nothing power guy that I think many were expecting. Like, I think a lot of people were like, oh, this will be Bobby Dalbeck light. He's a much more advanced hitter than Bobby Dalbeck. Uh, was and I think projects to be a much better hitter than him. He's still only 19 years old. And, and I was really impressed, even in limited action, of what we saw from him last year. Right. It's like, oh shit, Blaze Jordan actually has a glove in his bat bag. Like that's, yeah, like, that's like, awesome. Yeah, like he it's it's not he's probably not winning a gold glove, but like he can defend. I was shocked. I'm like, this guy's actually not a DH. Like he can play third. Yeah, he can absolutely play third. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's funny because, you know, you, you lean on it like Mac McClung. Mac McClung kind of had a jumper when he was a freshman at Georgetown <laughs> yeah. and when he was, you know, spending his next couple of years at Texas Tech. Um, like that's Blaze Jordan, right? You, you watch for the dunks, you watch for the bombs, but he can do other things too. He's not a one-trick pony. Um, in the spirit of the closing ceremonies uh, with, of Beijing 2022, the Winter Olympics, I'm oh, going to hand out over. to you. Yeah, it's already over. Devastating. Um, single tear rolls down my right cheek. Uh, I'm going to give out a gold, silver, and bronze to metal bat bombs in Tropicana Field. Um, Blaze Jordan gets the bronze. Yeah, Harper gets the gold, right? Harper gets the gold, but my silver medalist is Tamar Johnson. Ooh, ooh, the most advanced hitter I've ever seen as a high schooler, I think, of all time ever. He's incredible. He's like 5'8", um, and metal bat bombs at Tropicana Field. If you want to see metal bat bombs at, at the Trop, it's Tamar Johnson, the silver medalist. 
<laughs> but to, to wrap up on Jordan, man, I mean, the guy hit one 110 already in that low waist and he was there for nine games and already showed us a 110 line drive. Like the power is there. The power is real. It doesn't, he doesn't need a BESR bat to show that the power is legit. Um, he can swing it. Big name to watch next year. There are going to be some growing pains. Like I think people are, are now are like, oh, whoa, whoa, he's way better than we thought. He's, he's back to that phenom guy. Let's find a middle ground between the two. Um, I think there's going to be some swing and miss. Uh, at times we saw elevated helo, elevated velo blow him up a little bit. Uh, but I'm a big fan uh, of what we saw from him and, and excited to see him continue to develop. Uh, that's a guy that yeah, I think the Red Sox fans have to be happy with that pick and a really good draft overall uh, by the Red Sox. Coming in at number eight is somebody that, you know, we didn't get to see last year, but I'm actually really excited to see what, what he's going to do once he comes back, assuming he's going to be ready to go in the early parts or right away in the season. Stuff over, stuff over command guy, but Brian Mata is somebody that has some nasty stuff, Jack. Uh, in 2019, which was the last time we saw him, ERA was high. FIP pointed towards, it's kind of a trend here, FIP pointed towards some, some better days ahead. But I mean, you'd, you'd expect to see some more swing and miss from Mata given his stuff than what we saw in, in 2019. A lot of people in the Red Sox brass or, you know, just in that organization were really gushing about what Mata was showing heading into 2021, what he had been showing, you know, with with at Instructs and with the team. Uh, and unfortunately, he blew his elbow out going into the season. Mata is somebody that I know the Red Sox and Red Sox front office and a lot of uh, scouts are very excited about uh, come next season. Yeah. You know, he's going to be a good bullpen piece. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say starter. Like I don't think Brian Mata is a starter, Probably um, but I think he's a big body bullpen piece. He's six, three, two forty. Like yeah. this is a big dude that pitches like a big dude. Uh, and I think you got to jump ship on the curveball. I don't know if he's, if he's already done it. I think you have to jump ship on anything else other than the fastball and slider. But that two-pitch mix is totally good enough uh, to be an eighth-inning guy. I mean, yeah, dude, the, the fastball is is lively. Apparently, he was flirting with triple digits before going down. Most guys come back and, you know, are sustaining, if not even have even more velo uh, once they get the call up, you know, and once they're finally fully healthy uh, from that Tommy John. Uh, the, the, the breaking ball is nasty, as you mentioned, and, you know, focusing on two pitches and really solidifying himself as a bullpen piece could, could be the, the move. But I feel like the Red Sox aren't going to give up on him as a starter, given their, their limited, um, you know, depth in that category. And the fact that Matt is still just 22 years old coming off of that Tommy John. I agree with you. It's probably more likely that he ends up in the bullpen. Uh, but, you know, I think they're going to give him some opportunities here to continue to feel out that change up, you know, see if he can develop uh, those secondary pitches. Uh, and this is a guy that has legit stuff. So exciting name to follow as well with a little bit more upside than I think uh, most people may expect from somebody that we haven't seen pitch in a while uh, and comes in, you know, as a guy with a little bit of bullpen risk coming in. At number nine is somebody that we saw a little bit at the big league level. Uh, and it's Connor Siebel. Siebel a guy that kind of emerged too, and was, was a little bit more exciting than, than many may have expected. Did you get to see that much of Seabold at the big league level last year? I mean, I think he did get uh, an outing towards the end of the season against your White Sox. Yeah, so I saw a teensy bit of Seabold. Uh, I really liked watching him at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, um, of course, of course, it goes back to college. Yeah, I love my college guys. Uh, so I, I liked Connor Seabold as a Titan. Um, I think he's got some stuff there. I don't think he has anything that wows you, but I think he could be a great five. 
he could be, you know, the, the four or five guy where you show up to the ballpark and, you know, you see that Connor Siebold is the starter today and you're like, okay, this is going to be a fun day at the ballpark. I don't think it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to go pay through the nose for tickets to go see Connor Siebold. Um, but I don't think you're disappointed when you see him. And I think that he can give a major league baseball team a good chance to win every fifth day. Yeah, you know, I think that's a guy that you just can't have too many guys like that. Swing man type, probably, right? Like he's, he's I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a surefire number four in a rotation, but I, I think he's going to hang around as a back end guy, number five type, has upside to be that number four. Uh, you know, the fastball, it plays up because of his ability to locate it, uh, because of the, the profile that it has. His changeup also helps that, that fastball play up. His changeup's his best pitch. Uh, the slider is effective. He's got the three pitch mix. He's got a good feel for it. He's got some natural built in deception. He's 26 years old. I've uh, recently turned 26, but I, I, that's just a guy that's in the top 10 because of the high four. You got a big league arm here for sure. Um, and in worst case, he's a swing man. Best case, you're looking at a back end of the rotation starter. I think he's going to, he's going to pitch a lot of important innings uh, for the Red Sox this coming season. So Seabold, Seabold's a legit dude. Uh, and, and I'm definitely uh, bullish on his ability to help the Red Sox in the short term, even though it's may, may not be as a number three type starter. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I I'm with you on Seabold. I I've got a bunch of guys uh, outside the top 10 and I just got down a rabbit hole for a minute. Sorry. I just, I see a bunch of guys outside the top 10 that I want to bring up after we get through these 10. Absolutely. And, and so the last guy though, is somebody that you, you got to see a good bit of in high a last year, uh, which was Chris Murphy, I believe, right. You saw a decent bit of him or so when- I, I watched him in high a, but that's because I, I, you know, became friendly with him on the Cape. He was a Brewster ah. Whitecap, and I was calling games with Brewster. So I, I would make sure to tune into Chris Murphy whenever I could, uh, tell me what you like about Chris Murphy. And then I'll, I'll gush over him for my, you know, 60 to 90 seconds. Your 60 to 90 seconds we give you on, on your, your particular guys. It's yeah. funny. I, you have a little bit of a natural bias for, for lefties um, who, who just have a good feel to pitch. I've noticed that. Yeah. I, I like it. I just like guys that, that are comfortable with their stuff, you yeah. know, can look at themselves as a pitcher in the mirror and say like, this can be a big league thing. I I'm cool with this. This can um, be a big league thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris Mur like he's a five. Um, he's a four or a five, but he can get into the mid nineties with a fastball. For the most part, he's gonna be ninety-two to ninety-four. Um, he's got good breaking pitches and that changeup. I asked him about this changeup because that changeup moves more than any changeup I've ever seen live. Really? And yeah, you gotta said, see hey, Brian Bello live because that thing is is magical. But yeah, it does so move I, a lot. Uh, 11 inches, two, 11 inches of horizontal movement, by the way. Yeah. I bet those two are, are he workshopping their changeups, but I asked him, I was like, why does your changeup move as much as it does? And he was like, honestly, I think it's just like a West coast thing. He said a lot of like pac 12 pitchers, a lot of West coast pitchers. He went to San Diego. Um, you know, a lot of these guys just like throw a changeup with tons and tons of run. Uh, and, and I mean, this changeup was like airbender type stuff. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Chris Murphy's fastball changeup mix and how they work off of each other. Yeah. I mean, and Murphy's changeup is, is really, that was going to, that was going to be one of the things that I was going to mention. It's got that fade to it because he has this release point where the arm kind of slingshots, which always helps that changeup play up and it slingshots and it just comes and fades right away from that right-handed hitter. The only problem for him sometimes is he would leave it up, you know, and, and it would result in a home run. 
but I think he gave up four home runs on the offering when, you know, he would start it over the middle a little bit more and it would stay over there. But when he would start it middle away and it would fade off the plate, I mean, that that's a nasty strikeout pitch sets up everything else really well. I like Murphy a lot. And I also, I believe in him as a starter. I really do. But I also like that if everything fails, he's shown that he can reach that fastball up to 96 and short spurts. I think he would be sitting 94, 96, touching a seven if he had to go to the bullpen, but this is a guy that I'm, I'm expecting to be a back end of the rotation starter. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I'm going to run you through a lot, a lot of the guys that I like that are outside the top 20 or uh, outside the top 10. Cool. Let's do it. They're a bunch of college guys. Naturally. Of course. Of course. Alex Benellis, former Louisville Cardinal. Benellis, Good get for them. Good get for them. Yeah. Good get. I mean, he's going to be either um, a really good part to sweeten a trade deal or he's got the possibility of being a corner infielder. I don't think they need more corner infielders in their system. Um, I think he's a wonderful trade asset to have. Yeah. So I think that was more he's not like your typical Red Sox target, right? Like this is a guy that's power over hit. Um, But the Red Sox identified somebody that was recently drafted that, you know, was a first round consideration in the early going had some swing and miss issues at Louisville, but Benellis, you know, the Red Sox saw an opportunity to get him in that, in that Hunter Renfro deal. And I mean, you're going to jump at that opportunity because he's got a ton of upside. And I think we saw some flashes of that uh, towards the end of last year in his college uh, his end of his college stint. And even at points in, in professional baseball, uh, this is a guy that's got some pop. Um, and I, and I loved it as a flyer pickup there for them. And, and Benellis, Benellis can swing it. I'm excited to see how he continues to develop. He's just on the outside of that top 10 defense is, is, is a big question though, too. Tyler McDonough, middle infielder and a center fielder at a NC state played with Pat Bailey at NC state. I mean, he, he's a stud, man. He's small. Um, he's not going to pack a punch power wise, but he's a switch hitter that I think could quickly turn into a fan favorite. Like I think his ceiling is like a Brock Holt type and you know yeah. how much Brock Holt was adored in Boston. He still is, man. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great, a great, comparison and you need to balance out your system with guys like that. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of his and another guy that I think is, is interesting too. Um, that I, I think high four, right? Like he's going to climb um, and, and somebody that kind of fits the, fits the bill for them. Same deal. Cam Cannon was an Arizona wildcat. Cameron Cannon played really well out on the year. Cape. I like Cam Cannon. He could be a third middle infielder for sure. I Cannon is another guy that like the numbers just stick out, had a good year overall, definitely a name to follow. And, uh, you know, he, he's not going to strike out like at all. There's a lot of dependency on his ability to like make contact all the time. Cause he's not going to walk either. Uh, but like you said, the, the versatility, the ability to kind of play all over, that's going to be something that, that helps him. I've got one more guy I want to mention before I get to three weird ones and we'll go rapid fire. I know we're already taking too much of people's time on a Monday here uh, and on president's day, but Connor Wong, <laughs> do you still like Connor Wong? I'm not giving up on Connor Wong. Like the guy can swing it a little bit. He can catch and play all over. He's kind of like a poor man's Dalton Varsho minus the center field aspect of it. But I think he's a big league piece. He's just so unique. He's got some sneaky power. Uh, he's a good athlete. Connor Wong belongs. He's just, he's just unique enough. Uh, Nico Cavadas, 20 gate, 20 grade runners make me laugh. <laughs> um, when I see 20 grade run, I just start laughing and I'm like, I, I love that guy. That's my new favorite player. Cavadas can, can bring the boom stick. Oh yeah. Like crazy power. I watched him launch so many home runs in the Cape. Great dude too. Uh, surprisingly compact swing. I'm, I'm curious to see how he can hit against lefties, but not as long as you would expect. I really like Gavadis. That was a good little steel pick in the last draft. And uh, 
he's got some upside limited to first base as a 20 grade runner, but big left-handed pop. He's, he's your, your donkey type that can really, really swing it. Okay. They get progressively weirder. This is my second to last guy. Chi Young Lu uh, was in low a Salem this year, 22 years old. Um, I just want to read you this uh, first couple of sentences from uh, MLB pipeline on Chi Young Lu. Worn down from overuse as a high school pitcher in Taiwan, Lu took two years off from the mound while playing shortstop. Once he resumed pitching in 2019, he reached 98 with his fastball and won MVP honors at the Asian Baseball Championship in October after leading Chinese Taipei to their first title in eight years. He's a switch hitting shortstop that just hopped right back on the mound, and he's 97. He's 22 at low A, but this is a guy who's got a good fastball slider combo who can have some helium and crack a big league bullpen maybe in 2024 as a 24-year-old. Wow. Wow. I honestly didn't know any of that. (laughs) So So there you go. I got one more for you. Gilberto Jimenez, who's like right on the cusp here of this top 10. Just need to see a little bit more. He's got a very unique build at like 5'11", 210. Switch hitter right now playing a bit of center field. We'll see if we'll stick there. Moves surprisingly well. Good bat to ball skills. Want to see a little bit more power there. But an interesting guy who had some good results uh, so far, you know, in his young professional career. Just put the bat on the ball and had a great season in low A, was great in short season in 2019. Watch this guy. Would like to see him tap into a little bit more power, but he can really run. He can field out there and uh, 21 years old could be a good fourth outfielder switch hitter, worst case scenario, but another name to watch. I just want to talk about Noah's song for yeah, a minute. We'll, we'll wrap up on, on our guy, Noah's song, who, uh, yeah, who, where is he right now? Where do you think he is right now? I don't know. International waters. Yeah. Yeah, he's at the Navy, right? So Noah Song was a Navy midshipman. He was best pitcher in America. The summer of 2018, Noah Song was out on the Cape. I think he was an Orleans Firebird. And this guy was the best pitcher out on the Cape, like best pitcher on Cape Cod. And then he goes back to the Naval Academy. He's the best pitcher in the country in the spring of 2019. Red Sox take him. Don't know about signability because you have to complete your service. Um, He was a little bit late on the exemption. You've got a guy in the red system right now, uh, super fast. Uh, Herdebees, Jacob Herdebees, who was at Army West Point. He was a U.S. Military Academy grad who got the federal exemption from completing his military service in order to play professional sports. So he deferred it till after his playing career is over. Song did not get that exemption. So he is currently serving with the U.S. Navy. And if and when he jumps back into the Red Sox system, he could become their best pitching prospect, not named Brian Bellow. Yeah, that arm will be nice and rested. But yeah, he has that kind of upside. I mean, he is special. I mean, even when we saw him in brief, brief, brief stints professionally, he looked great. He looked the part again, right? Like we saw him in short season and it was like the same stuff in 2019 that we were seeing in, in, in college. Thank you, Noah Song, for your service. And of course, like there's this is what he went to school to do ultimately, right? Like this is something an obligation that he always knew about. But man, I want to see this guy play baseball too yeah, selfishly, too. right? Like there's bigger issues and and important things going on. But we're here to talk about baseball, and that's it. And I want to see Noah Song chuck a baseball. So hopefully, hopefully we'll have him back here doing that soon. And and of course, home safely is the most important thing. Uh, yeah. But I mean. 
this guy's talented. Um, and, and it's not easy to, to be in the Navy either. So like it shows you he's, he's an athlete. He's a tough dude. Uh, and I think he's kind of that bulldog on the mound too. That's how they build you at Navy. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sparing us the, the Putin Ukraine conversation on the call up here. Really? Oh yeah. I, I was not, I was not going to get into that one. Like, good, good really appreciate that. that. No, no, we're here to talk prospects and that is it. And that's what we did today. Uh, but Jack, as always, these episodes are long and fun. Uh, yeah. And we're always going through these whole systems. We got more to go through. You can always check out the full write-ups over at justbaseball.com with all of the info that you need on these guys with some video paired in there. We have a lot more to unroll uh, and unravel here on the prospect side of things. A lot going in on the back end that I'm really excited about, Jack, that I'm excited to show you about too, uh, to just make the prospect experience more immersive. And before we finish here, I've been working on to get people that are watching on YouTube a little bit amped up for our top 100 update. I've been grinding Jack. Yeah. He, the RM just got up. Oh, he's got a big whiteboard. RM's got a big whiteboard with the top 50 guys and I can't make the words Good. out. Okay. Now Good. I can. Good. You can't I make saw it Noel V. Marte in the top left corner. Noel V. Marte, I feel like might be high. He might be high, but yeah, really excited about that one. And uh, that's going to be coming very, very soon. I've been having to write it all out on a big whiteboard because it's like just the easiest way to do it. Uh, and we'll have a big episode for that one too. We might make it like a multi-parter where you're just like, Aram, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? What are your thoughts here? Um, and just grow me for the top 100 list. Cause that's what you do, right? You just, that's subjecting myself to get yelled at, uh, Keith Law style, except I'll be nicer to everybody else. Yeah, that works. As long as you, you know, don't tell me that that's your job and I'm just a fan. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get it, bro. Uh, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, everybody. And we will talk prospects with you on Wednesday for a player interview. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.